0: Thanks for listening to the IBC Podcast. For daily news, features, interviews and more, visit IBC 365. Hello and welcome to the IBC Podcast. My name is George Beaver and I'm the editor of IBC 365. By now, I'm sure most of you will know that sadly, we won't be able to hold an in-person event in Amsterdam in December. So while we won't be able to meet in Amsterdam, we will instead be hosting lots of content that you would have found in the Rye online at IBC Digital. And that's where you can find profiles for all the exhibitors who would have been showing their latest products and services at the Rye. You can look at their latest announcements and book meetings with them at IBC Digital. And that's also where we hosted this year's award ceremony. And it's the awards which is the focus of this special episode of the IBC podcast. On this episode, we'll be speaking with the winners of two of IBC's most prestigious awards. Barbara Slater, the Director of Sport at the BBC, who has been awarded the International Honour for Excellence. And her BBC colleague, Hans Ricklefs of BBC R&D, who was part of the team which won the prize for Best Technical Paper. Barbara Slater has been awarded the IBC 2021 International Honour for Excellence in recognition of her career in sports broadcasting and for leading the way in establishing women's sport and bringing women to the fore both on screen and behind the camera. Barbara was presented with her award during IBC's special online award ceremony in November alongside the winners of the IBC 2021 Innovation Awards, Best Technical Paper and a special award to the NBC Universal Team for its technical work on the Tokyo Olympics. At the awards, BT Sport won the IBC Innovation Award for Content Everywhere for developing new technologies for the BT Sport app. Riot Games won the IBC Innovation Award for Content Distribution for using JPEG Excess Compression on two transatlantic eSports events. And Remote Recording Network and its technology partners, led by Reedel Communications, won the IBC Innovation Award for content creation for producing the first fully decentralised production of a live global music event. The IBC 2021 Award for Best Technical Paper went to a team from BBC R&D for their paper detailing their solution for giving users greater control of their own data when using different media and other services. Before we hear from Barbara, let's find out about the work of BBC R&D from lead architect Hans Ricklefs.
1: So there were a number of issues that we were trying to address. There is an underlying fundamental issue that we were really looking into if how do we give our users more transparency, choice and trust in terms of how we use their personal data to then kind of like drive their recommendations. The other aspects that we wanted to really look into is if at the moment, People are very confined into the various different services that you consume. You might consume Netflix, Spotify, even our um, products. So trying to figure out, is there a solution in where we can give the users the control about how all of their personal data is managed and used, give them an opportunity to go and update or manage whatever they like to actually represent their interests to then present a more holistic picture about themselves that then can be used inside of applications to give more relevant recommendations. So we partnered with um, Tim Berners-Lee who is um, working on an open source project called uh, SOLID which stands for social linked data in which um, the users have a so-called pod, personal data store, Um, that gives them the full control, kind of like what data about them is stored on a pod, and they then have mechanisms to give applications access to the data that's held about them. It's a completely different approach to what we've seen kind of like in current services. So actually, as part of our remit in our Royal Charter, it states that we need to research and develop new technologies. And we really believe that these personal data stores, this new approach to personal data management, is something that we seriously need to investigate to understand what the implications are or the, the, benefits are for our audience, for the BBC. We are also looking at kind of like the legislations, the regulations, how they're changing. And then also to understand how do we need to kind of like actually build these things out, um, technically. You asked about gatekeeper, and it's a really interesting question for us. For us, this needs to be an economy, right? And it needs to be an actual data economy in where we have multiple different organizations that are part of this. So we don't see us as a gatekeeper. It's more of kind of like we want to lead within this area to showcase this new approach and bring in more organizations um, into this ecosystem so we actually can really change the way that personal data is held. We asked Hans about the brief of the project. We we knew from the get-go that it's, it's a number of different questions that we need to ask. As I mentioned earlier, right, it's, it's the impact to the audience, it's the impact to the BBC legislation, and as well as the kind of like the technology aspect. So we knew from the beginning that we needed to construct a multidisciplinary team. And that was from the tech side, right, our engineers, we had UX, we had researchers, we had project manager, product managers. But we also really crucially embedded our legal and operational privacy teams because this is a different approach, right? And there is still a big question about what the BBC should actually be, what should the role be within this kind of like new ecosystem. So we created a multidisciplinary team because we knew that there was a number of challenges, right? There was the technical aspects, there was the way in which we need to engage with our users, right? Consent mechanisms can start to get really kind of like complicated if I'm now all of a sudden in a way where I can give you control to say you can see just a part of my postcode, right? I might decide that with another friend I, for example, share my whole address and you see these like really difficult kind of also overwhelming kind of like control mechanisms. We knew that we had to address that. So... Technical, user, product, research, but then also our legal and operational teams because we knew there was uh, going to be a number of technical challenges in particular on asking the question of well, what the BBC's role should actually be within an ecosystem like that. So it was important that we bring multiple different disciplines to um, the project to then just see kind of like what the opportunities are. Now... The other challenge with this project is that it's it's actually quite, because it's such a difference in approach, right? We're changing the way in which personal, we, we, we use the catchphrase, we're going to turn the, the internet upside down, right? It's you're putting the user in control in a decentralized kind of like system, right? At the moment, personal data is centralized in all of these various different services. So... That also means that there's a long-term vision that we foresee, right? So in this future world where we all have our personal data store and we go into every single service, say, well, this is where you read and write personal data about me, it's going to be quite a while off. So we needed to try and really see how can we portray that long-term vision, which you kind of saw in Juliet's uh, demonstrator, but then also how can we bring that Back into what's actually possible right now and how can I demonstrate that in a way that isn't um, or users can look at that and go, what do you mean? I have to do a GDPR request across all these different various services, bring in all of this data, do that once a week. That's not a user experience that we think is kind of like feasible, but we really needed to highlight this is what's currently possible and this is where we foresee the future to actually have to get to in order to make this work. And we asked if there's a date for the project to go live. It's still within the research phase. Um, It's still kind of in the kind of like technical validation of what's currently possible. We're currently analyzing the research finding that has come back from the paper and the audience research that come with it to really then kind of like set up our strategy. Now... We are in discussions with a number of of internal products of how this approach could actually be used for them. So we're going to continue on that and really kind of trying to see where the opportunities are so that we can then kind of like explore what potential options are. But at the moment, we're still kind of framing it within the research context.
0: Thank you to Hans. And you can watch a longer version of his interview along with a demo of the MyPDS app by his colleague Juliet Carter on IBC Digital. And there'll be a link to IBC Digital wherever you are listening to this episode. Now, onto our chat with the BBC's Director of Sport, Barbara Slater. Barbara is the first woman to hold the post and is recognised as a pioneer for women in sports broadcasting worldwide. She was appointed to the post in 2009. And one of her first challenges was to develop multi platform coverage of the 2012 London Olympics. Today, she works closely with other broadcasters and sports bodies, including advising the International Olympics Commission. In 2014, she was made an OBE for her services to sports broadcasting. We asked Barbara how sports broadcasting has changed since she started in the industry.
2: Since I joined, and and it's a frighteningly long time ago, um, I mean, it was back in the early 80s. And I think just to put that into some kind of context, mobile phones were still prototypes, not Available gen to the general public. I mean, that's, that's it. What a, what a transformation we have seen in technology over that time. And I think we've seen the sports broadcast industry transformed over that time. It's, it, I mean, it really has been a revolution and in a number of ways. I think the quality of what audiences can now enjoy is just in a, in another stratosphere, frankly. Also choice. I think as as technology has opened things up it's now possible to cover things more easily more cost effectively and so suddenly we're seeing this exponential choice um, we've seen a lot of, of organizations um, doing coverage themselves so there really is for sports fans an unbelievable um, range of, of things that and, and, and events and sporting occasions that they can access, we've seen the competition in the industry transformed. It was, I think, in those days, BBC and ITV, and pretty much that was it. Well, I mean, what a different landscape it is now. Just an extraordinary range of contributors to the, to the industry. I think there's been other big changes as well. Maybe, maybe more culturally. I remember, and I think it was driven a lot by the technology, the sort of atmosphere in a production unit. It was loud. It was people barking instructions and, and often those instructions weren't always fulfilled because the technology didn't permit it. Now it's very, very different. I think it's much calmer, quieter. It's, it's the, I think the complexity of, of what, what happens is, 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 is has had a, a, a bearing on, on how it's produced. So I would say it's a much more, it's a much more calm, sophisticated, um, operation these days. I'm talking in the production trucks.
0: We then asked if it was tough being a woman starting out in sports broadcasting.
2: When I joined BBC Sport back in 1983, and there really, really were very few women. Indeed, what was interesting is my application to the BBC was not initially to the sport department, but was to a training scheme. So I joined on this training scheme, and I think that possibly there were people outside of sport that thought... Maybe it was about time there was a woman who worked in sport, so i 'm not going to say I was quite imposed upon the department, but one of my um, uh, you like you did sort of a three month stint in different departments was to go to BBC sport. The thing I think that made an enormous difference was the fact that I had been an athlete, so that sort of skepticism what does a woman really know does she does she get this actually that was that was something that they couldn't say because I think at that time I probably was the only Member of the department who had actually competed in in, in, in Olympics, so it, it in a way I think I had a degree of acceptance and credibility because of that background. By the way, it's entirely different now. I You don't have to have competed in the Olympics to get a job in BBC Sport. You really don't, um, but you have to have a passion for it, I think, and that applies to across across genders. Uh, so so I, I I I I I joined, and I suppose I. You know, I, I remember being advised, keep your head down. You know, they don't like noisy people. You know, just keep your head down. They don't particularly like women. And, and I just it totally ignored that advice. <laughs> and I asked to do as much and, and try as many different things as, as I could. And that was like an, an attachment for six months. But off the back of that, I, I, I applied for one of the assistant producer jobs and was successful. So then joined the department and across the, the many years I've, I've been, um, I, I think we really have seen a dramatic change in attitude. I think that is a recent thing. I think for too many years, women's sport has been seen as somehow second class. And I think, and I'm so impressed and delighted about the, the momentum that we currently have behind women's sport. And I feel really proud of the role that the BBC has played in that. I mean, we've been long-term supporters of women's sport. I think it's viewed that the BBC, this is a recent thing, not at all. I remember we did, um, a women's European Championships. This is, this is potentially back either in the early 2000s or even, um, in the 90s. And, you know, we put an enormous amount of effort into it. But I don't think the audience was ready. And I think that's been one of the big changes. There is an audience, we're seeing an audience appetite evolving and, and an enthusiasm from, from the women's game. And I, I think what's interesting, 2012, 2012 was a watershed moment for women's sport. We had so many successful women athletes. And I remember there was a moment where 80,000 people were in Wembley watching women's football and loving the experience. So suddenly, I, I think the Olympics and, and other multi-sport events have always had a fantastic position in terms of gender equality because a gold medal is a gold medal. And you, you know, and I remember, you know, in 2012, we cheered Jess Ennis on just as much as we cheered Mo Farah. And, and so I always felt the Olympics has been a great beacon, if you like, of, 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 of men and women athletes being treated much more equally. Maybe one of the more challenging areas has been in the traditional sports like football, rugby and cricket. And, but nevertheless, 2012, I think, was a real breakthrough moment. We then had a World Cup in 2015. And I think that maybe can be a little bit forgotten in terms of the impact that that made. So we had 12 million people watching our coverage of that World Cup. And FIFA did it really well. They invested in the production in a way I think they hadn't necessarily before. And we did some audience research. 48% of the people who watched That World Cup in 2015 had never watched a women's football match before. That is an awful lot of people who were being introduced to something that they might then want to follow and enjoy. We then had success um, uh, as a team at the, the, the European, but then we moved on to the World Cup in 2019 and we ran a really extensive campaign called Change the Game. And it really was there to challenge perceptions around the standing of women's sport. And I think what was really good about that campaign is it wasn't just an appointment of view. It wasn't just telling people, come and watch. It was actually challenging some of the preconceptions, basically saying sport is sport and it doesn't matter whether it's performed by a man or a woman, we've got to let that go. And, and so it was quite powerful and quite punchy um, with that message. So we then moved to the Women's World Cup. And I think this is really interesting uh, trajectory, if you like, of audiences. So that first opening match against Scotland was over 6 million, an all-time record for women's football. I mean, everyone was delighted. The next match was over 7 million. The match after that was over 8 million. And by the time England competed in the semifinal, that audience was nearly 12 million it was the second most watched programme of any genre in the entire year in the uk if you'd said at the start of the year that a women's football match would be the second most watched programme in the entire year drama current affairs news everything i just think people would not have would have would have said they couldn't imagine that happening but it did and i just think we bust so many myths with that in that uh there was a, nobody can say an audience is less interested in watching women's sport when you can produce audience reaction and audience numbers like that. So I, I think, again, it, you know, looking at the momentum behind women's sport, we, we what's great is we have these springboard moments. And I think potentially we have another springboard moment next year when the women's Euros is going to be hosted in the UK. And again, I, I think for women's football, that could be a really fantastic moment.
0: Barbara then spoke about the innovations in sports coverage that we can expect to see next.
2: In terms of innovation and what we offer to audiences, I think we're often guided by audiences. So there is innovation in terms of technology, but I think there's also innovation in terms of creativity and the way things are presented. And I think that's one of the things that, that we are looking at. When we cover an event, we want that to be accessible for everyone. So we have to cater for the the, the fan, if you like, that maybe expects a a high degree of of data, of understanding, of analysis, but we've also got to provide a gateway for people to come into that sport. So I think that's what I I would say in terms of how our events evolve. I think there is an evolving tone of voice. There's an evolving range of touch points and and an evolving way that people can enjoy those events. I suspect what we'll see in the industry, I'm speaking more widely now, is again, a slight polarization. So what we're going to see is a continuation of the quality of coverage, whether that's through um, 4K and beyond, where just the simple quality is, is, is fantastic. Bigger screens in people's home, more surround sound. So we're talking sport, almost with a cinematic um, uh, style of coverage. What I think we'll also see is as technology has become more, um, I suppose, user-friendly, more intuitive, we're seeing an incredible ability for events and sports that possibly couldn't afford coverage or didn't have the expertise actually providing coverage. And, and I think that that can even translate right down into grassroots. So, so we're seeing, I think, the sports industry almost stretching in two directions. One is choice, one is accessibility, one is coverage that might have more local interest, and then the other is the high-end production, which again, I, I think we will see technology move on. Well, I think what you do see is you do see step changes in coverage at major events. And of course, with the Winter Olympics, Commonwealth Games and World Cup, again, I see technology continuing to evolve. One area that I think we'll see a lot of focus on is, is the remote production, because a lot of lessons have been learned in this past period. And I think given the renewed focus on sustainability, actually being able to produce these events in the most efficient and sustainable way is really important. So, for example, uh, for the World Cup, we're looking at how many ways we can have the best of both worlds. You want an on-site presence. It's important to capture the atmosphere and the flavor of being at an event. But can we split the operation? So, in a way that there's a very small team who are actually kind of present, but, but you're, you're, if you like, that. enhancing the sustainability of the production by bringing that back and having a lot of that in a purpose-built facility, such as we have here in Salford. So I think we're going to see innovation in that space. The other big driver of innovation is audiences and the different ways in which audiences consume their content. So again, I, I see that as a really important space. The BBC has invested enormously in the BBC iPlayer. And that's a, a really fantastic tool for, for frankly live, but, but also for catch up. And one of our big, uh, ambitions is to make that iPlay the best place to go. And we see that as not just having the best of the live. It can actually be that that also offers choice and depth. So, for example, at the Euros, there was a really brilliant documentary on, on Ronaldo. Which complemented, if you like, the event and the match coverage. So for those that just wanted to consume the euros literally 24-7, not only did we have match coverage, but we, we had coverage that captured the backstories. And, and again, we exploited that content in many, many different ways. So short form on the website, teases in, in social media. And, and, uh, you know, that documentary was broken up. So if people didn't want to sit and watch 45 minutes or an hour, Actually, there, there, were, there were key elements of the programme that were of form. So, so what we're looking to do is when we've got great content, can we customise that in different ways, um, in innovative ways, so that audiences can still get to enjoy that content?
0: Thanks so much to Barbara and a huge congratulations to her and all of the other IBC 2021 awards winners. And you can watch a longer version of Barbara's interview on IBC Digital. And that's it for this episode. We'll have more podcasts for you soon. So make sure you subscribe or listen via IBC 365. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.